When I say you've got to change, think about momentum. If you want to really change the way you're living your life, something dramatic has to happen. Because if you think just all of a sudden you're going to listen to me for a few weeks and just automatically your life's going to change, it will not. You are going to consciously have to change how you live day to day, week to week, month to month. Hey, it's Dr. Phil here. We have been talking for a lot of weeks about a playbook for success in your life, and we finished up last week. I went from number one through 16, but we're not done because now I want to talk to you about what to do with all that information. It's one thing to know those things, but how do you fold it into your life and really start making a change? 16 different things that you can do in your life to really make a difference. Let's say that you have actually written these things down, actually thought about them, actually gone to the website and learned what each of those things are. Like number one, you must have a defined image and never go out of character. Two, you must create a perception of uniqueness. Three, you must play big, not long. Number four was you learn to claim and accept praise and acknowledgement, and you do it in a gracious way, but you do accept it, those things and all the others. Well, how do you actually fold that into your life and make a change? I'm going to tell you what I think is a way to go about this. You know, I'm in Hollywood now. It's strange for a Texas boy. I put on makeup every day. Who had ever thought I'd have done that? But I do. Since I'm in Hollywood, we think about scripts out here. You know, what's the script for this movie? What's the script for that TV show? And I work on scripts every week for different shows that I'm involved in. I want to talk to you about a life script. I want to talk to you about a script for the rest of your life. Now, I don't know how old you are as you're listening to this. But I do know that somewhere on that number line, if you're a man, your life expectancy is 83. If you're a woman, it's 85 to 87. Somewhere between zero and 80s, you're on that number line somewhere. Think about it. If you're 35, you've got like 50 years left in this world. If you're 40, you've got 45 years left in this world. And sometimes we can get to thinking, yeah, well, I kind of blew it early on, so I'm stuck with where I am. I'm stuck with my life. I'm stuck with what I'm doing, and I'm stuck with my station. That is absolutely not true. Let me tell you, when I came out here and launched Dr. Phil years ago, I was already 50 years old and started an entirely new career, and it was my third career since I had gotten my doctorate, and I had a career before that. So this is like really the fourth major thing I've done in my life, and it's the thing I've done for the longest period of time. So listen, don't be telling me that, yeah, it's too late. I blew it early on. I lost this game in the early innings. No, you didn't. There's nine innings in this game, and so you can always rally and come back. Now, how do you do that? Well, 
When I say life script, I mean I want you to think about what you would really like for the rest of your life to look like. And remember, I told you the difference between a dream and a goal is a timeline and accountability. We talked about that. So you already know there is a way to get from where you are to where you want to go. We do not jump buildings in a single bound. We aren't supermen. We aren't superwomen. We have to take it floor by floor by floor, but that's okay. You've also heard me say, time's going to go by. That's the one thing you can't stop. Think about this. The rest of your life is going to go by whether you're doing something about it or not. First year is going to go by, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year. And I am a strong believer that small changes aggregate. They add up into big differences across time. But where do you want to be? Where do you want to be at the end of 2023-24? What is your life script? If you don't like what you're doing right now, or maybe you like it, but you don't love it, Maybe it fills some of the squares on your sheet of paper, but not all of them. Maybe you want to do what you do better, but maybe you want to add to it. Some people are really lucky in that their vocation, what they get paid for, and their avocation, what they do for fun, happen to be the same thing. That's true for me. My vocation and my avocation are the same thing. I love what I do. So that means I love getting up and going to work every day. Now, that doesn't mean every single day. I mean, sometimes I wake up and think, oh, my God, I got to go down there again and do this, and I'm tired, and I don't feel like it, and I don't want to go. But that's rare. Most of the time, I feel pretty good. But I go even when I don't. I've gone down there and shot when I had the flu. I've gone there and shot when I had six broken ribs. I've gone down there and shot when I'd have been a lot better off doing something else. But most days, I'm enthused about it. It's just like doing this podcast right now. I'm enthused about it because I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to use it. And the way to do that is to sit down and figure out what's my life script. What do I want my life to look like? And don't be a victim. You're not stuck. Don't tell me you're stuck. You're not stuck. One of the things you've got to do to make that happen is you've got to start by doing an autopsy. That's grim sounding, isn't it? You've got to do an autopsy on your life up till now. Let's assume that your life is not everything you want it to be. Let's assume it's not where you want it to be socially, emotionally, romantically, financially, spiritually, health-wise, whatever. I don't know. I don't think I've ever met anybody that's a hundred in every category. And some of you think your life sucks in some category. You think it's horrible. I don't know where you are on the continuum of zero to a hundred. But let's say that you do an autopsy on your life up through today, and there are areas that aren't what you want them to be. I think it's worthwhile to do an autopsy and figure out why not. You know, they do an autopsy, they bring a body in, put it on a slab and start taking it apart, figure out why it broke down, why it died, why it's not still alive, why it's not doing well in this world and instead is laying there dead. That's what I mean. I want you to do an autopsy on your life up to this point. Why are parts of it, if they are, laying on the slab? Why is your career dead? Why is your marriage dead? Why are your hobbies and fun, why are different aspects of your life dead? Do an autopsy on this, and here's what you're looking for. 
Of course, you're looking for the general why. If it's not the way you want it, why not? But the main thing you want to know, the real question you want to ask, is what role you have played in it not being where you want it to be. Have you been too passive? Maybe you've been too aggressive. Maybe you've been too pushy. Did you quit too soon? Did you make a bad choice or make a really bad decision? Did somebody hurt you along the way and you didn't take the steps to heal that pain and you let them have your power and cause you to shut down and withdraw from life? I don't know. But you know. You have just never really sat down and asked yourself, the parts of my life that haven't worked up until now, the parts of my life that aren't working now, why not and what role have I played them them not working until now? Have I been afraid to ask for what I want? Have I not believed in myself? Have I not spoken up for myself? That's what I want you to ask yourself right now. I'm going to give you some steps to follow in this. Okay, I'm going to give you some steps to follow in this. The first step I want you to do is to ask yourself what traits and characteristics you assign to yourself based on your history. Look, you've watched yourself. You know yourself better than anybody else. What are the traits and characteristics that you have assigned to yourself? Maybe some of those are really negative. And I've told you how you form those. You form just like you form traits, characteristics, and concepts of anybody else. If there's somebody at the office that you think's a real brown nose, or you've got some friend that you think's a real two-faced gossip, or you've got some friend that you think is the most buttoned-up, loyal, solid person you've ever met, why do you think you have those opinions of them? Good or bad, you form those opinions based on your observations of them. And that's exactly how you have formed your self-concept, your self-esteem, your level of self-worth. You have watched yourself. Maybe you choke when it comes down to those big moments in your life. Then write that down. Say, hell, I'm a choker. Comes time to ask for a raise, I choke. It comes time to ask that pretty girl for a date, I choke. It comes time to approach that guy that I've been wanting to go out with, and I just don't do it. And maybe you have positive attributes as well. You say, when it comes down to it, I don't have any quit in me. I hang in there. I know that about myself. But I don't do it in certain areas of my life. I do it at work, but I don't do it in my social life. I do it with my friends, but I don't do it with my kids. I want you to ask yourself, what attributes, traits, and characteristics have contributed to what's working and what's not working in your life? So do the autopsy. What's working and what's not working in your life? The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. 
I'll give you an example. Everything that I'm telling you now, I did today. I wanted to review it. I did today. I wanted to sit down and say, okay, what are the things that I assign as attributes? What about my life is working and not working? And why do I think that's true? One of the things that's not working is work. I probably work too much. For example, right now, it's like, what time is it? It's eight o'clock on a Sunday night. I could be in the recliner in the den with my feet up watching Sunday night football, but I'm not. I'm back here doing this because I'm very excited about it. Robin's upstairs doing something that she's probably excited about, but I realize that I probably work too much. So if I do an autopsy on my life, that thing I say a lot keeps haunting me in the back of my head. I've never met a man on his deathbed that said, I wished I'd spent more time at the office. Never met a man on his deathbed said, I wished I'd have spent more time working. But like I said earlier, for me, my vocation and my avocation are the same thing. I get a lot of currency from this. I love what I do, but I need to do a better job of balancing that. So if I'm writing out my life script, I need to spend more time not working. I have the ability to travel the world, but I don't do it very much, and I need to do that. I have the ability to see different places and different things, and I want to do that while I can. I don't want to wait till I'm too old. I got to drag me up there in a gunny sack or something and say, here, look out the hole in the gunny sack. See what's out there? I want to do it when I can do it. I realize if I write my life script, I need to relax more and find joy in some other sorts of things. So in my self-attribution, I'm a real hard worker. And when I get a hold of something, I'm like a dog with a bone. Man, I don't turn loose of it. But you can do that too much, and I think I do it too much. So as I do my autopsy, I recognize that, and that maybe it's time for me to reassess that and make a change. When I do my self-attribution list, I recognize I have a very cerebral approach to life. I'm much more cerebral in the way I approach the world and all the people in it than I am heartsy or emotional. That doesn't mean I'm not emotional. I'm just a lot more cerebral than I am feeling-based. I mean, Robin, sometimes something really great will happen, and I have a great sense of satisfaction inside but I don't necessarily show it outside. And she'll say, come on, give me something. Give me a happy dance. Jump up and down. Do me a 360. Do something. Like throw caution to the wind and break into a smile. And I'm like, no, seriously, I'm happy. I really am. I'm really happy. And I have this great sense of satisfaction and fulfillment inside. But I'm not somebody that's going to run down the street with my arms over my head going, Woo! I'm thrilled to death. That's not me. But I realize that's just the way I approach things, and it works for me. You always hear me ask people, so how's that working for you? Well, how's that working for me? Pretty damn well. Do I need to bounce it out a little more? Yeah, probably so. But on the other hand, it's working for me. My family's happy. My family's healthy. I get along with my wife. I get along with my boys. I think I've had a relative degree of success in my life. I'm in good health. I'm not depressed or anxious. I mean, it works for me. It's my comfort zone. I like it. I like to be intellectually challenged. So that would be an attribute that I would want to keep in my life script. So those are the kind of things I want you to look at. 
Is there something you do too much of or not enough of? Or the things that you just absolutely have to change? If you're a drug addict, stop. If you're an alcoholic, stop. If you're a rageaholic, stop. If you're disloyal and a two-faced backstabber, stop doing those things. Stop self-destructing. There are some things you just absolutely want to stop. If you're a bleeding heart liberal and that works for you, embrace it. Do it if that's what makes you happy. Do what works for you. You guys have probably heard me say many times my dad used to say, and it's not just an intro or a lead-in for me. My dad used to say a lot of things to me as we were growing up. He was an alcoholic, but when he was sober, he was pretty insightful. I heard him say to me one time, I was talking about being in a bad situation, and he said, boy, you need to spend 5% of your time deciding whether the deal you've got is good or bad, and 95% of your time deciding what you're going to do about it. And that was really good advice that I took at a pretty young age. 5% of your time deciding whether what you've got, the hands you've been dealt, the situation you have in life. Okay, take 5% of your time and decide whether it's good or bad, fair or unfair, right or wrong, but then spend the rest of your time, the other 95% of your time saying, what am I going to do about it? Because really, that's where your power lies, right? It lies in what you're going to do about it. So I want you to do an autopsy and figure out, okay, how did I get here? And if you spend too much of your time saying, so-and-so cheated me, so-and-so jerked me around, then you got your victim hat on too much. Because what I want you to focus on is what's your role in it? What did you do to get you there? Every time I talk to a couple that's getting ready to get married and it's their second or third marriage, I say, have you done a relationship autopsy? Have you gone back to the one that failed and figure out what you did to contribute to it failing? And if you haven't figured out what you contributed to the last one falling apart, you're not ready to get into another one. And you may say, well, but he was a jerk. That's the problem. He was a jerk. Well, okay. What did you own about that? You picked him. At least that. You picked him. You have to have some ownership in it. You have to figure out what it is you did that caused something to run off the road before you write this life script, because you don't want to take those things that got you where you don't want to be and carry them forward trying to get where you want to go. Like I've said before, I'm a pilot. If I got in the airplane and took off and just as I was climbing out, I crashed. If I lived and I got a ride back to the airport, got another airplane, took off and crashed, and I lived, and I got a ride back to the airport, got another airplane, don't you think somebody would say, hey, hey, wait a minute there, Phil. Um, Why are you crashing? I don't know. Get out of the way. Whoa, Whoa, wait a minute. Don't you think you ought to figure out why you're crashing before you take off again? If I can't figure that out, then somewhere a village is missing its idiot. I need to figure out why I'm crashing before I take off again, right? And I'm asking you to take off again in your life. I'm asking you to relaunch here. Let's go rolling down the runway. But if you haven't got exactly what you want so far, then you need to figure out what you did. And you can say, well, it was a crummy airplane. Well, it's bad weather. Well, I picked a crummy airplane. I took off in bad weather. Somehow or another, you own how you got where you are. Don't be in denial about that. Don't blame everybody else because you have ownership. Figure out what it is so you don't repeat the mistakes you've made in the past. And then you have got to play the what do you want game. You've got to ask yourself, what do you really, really want? And when I say, what do you really, really want? There's a circular game you can play here, and it's got three questions to it. 
Question number one, what do you want? Well, I want to be financially secure. Okay, how would that make you feel? Well, I would be thrilled. (laughs) Okay, so what you really want is to feel thrilled. What are you willing to do to be thrilled about your life? Well, I'm willing to work harder. I haven't been applying myself enough. I'm willing to work harder. Okay, and if you worked harder, how would that make you feel? Well, I wouldn't be so frustrated with myself. I'd be more self-satisfied. Okay, so what you really want is to be self-satisfied. What are you willing to do to make yourself be more self-satisfied? Well, I think I'm willing to hold myself more accountable than I have in the past because I let myself get away with being lazy in the past, and I'm not going to do that anymore. You see the circle. All right, so you're not going to be so lazy anymore, so you're going to work harder. How's that going to make you feel? Well, maybe for the first time in a long time, I'm going to be proud of myself. So what you really want is to be proud of yourself. Doesn't have anything to do with money. You want to be proud of yourself. You want to be proud of what you do. You want to be proud of what you achieve. And that doesn't have a number attached to it. You want the experience that you think money will bring you. And you know what? You may be exactly right. Everybody says money won't buy you happiness. Well, maybe not, but you can afford to go where it is. (laughs) If you've got money, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with having money, but you need to understand why it's important to you. It's not just important to you because you can buy a red Mercedes convertible. What's important to you is how you feel when you're driving that red Mercedes convertible. You feel accomplished. You feel proud. You feel like you've done something. You're looking for the feeling that things bring you, that money brings you, that a car brings you, that a job brings you, that acknowledgement from others brings you. There's currency that goes beyond the material, the money, the thing. So you have to decide what is it you want. So what have I said so far? I've said, if we're going to hit the reset button and relaunch, before you start off, before you roll down that runway, do an autopsy on where you've been. You've run down this runway before, and it didn't work out just exactly the way you wanted it to. So let's figure out why not. What have you done or not done? that needs to change. Okay, what are your traits and characteristics? The good ones that you want to take with you and the bad ones you want to leave behind. Then what is your life script? What do you want the next 10, 20, or 30 years to look like and feel like? And to get that really dialed in, you've got to play the what do you want game. What do I want? How would it make me feel? And what am I willing to do to get there? And you just keep going around in that circle. And the only rule you have is don't repeat yourself. You will eventually lead yourself to what you really, really want. Okay, now, last Tuesday, you heard me say you have to shake it up to break it up. If you're going to relaunch, I told you change everything you can so it feels like a new day. It feels like a fresh day. It feels like something completely different. Now, I want to be very specific with how I want you to do that here. I want to be very, very specific about how I want you to do that here. Because when I say shake it up, I mean at every level. And most importantly, I want to talk about the people in your life. Anytime you write a script, there has to be players, right? 
you have to have players in your script. This is not going to be a one-man or a one-woman play, one-man or a one-woman movie. There's going to be other players in this. So let's talk about the players. And I want you to make a list of the people in your life right now. you got a pause button there, so let me finish, and then you can hit the pause button for a minute. I want you to make a list of the people in your life. Now, you can go back historically and make a list of the people that maybe you don't see all that often, but there's still an impact in your life. You can make a list of the people in your social life, in your romantic life, in your church life, in your work life, in your neighborhood. Maybe you're involved in school for your kids. Just make a list of the people, and maybe you can break them down by categories. That makes it easier. But make a list of the people in your life. Take some time to do it. This might include your in-laws, your siblings, your parents, neighbors, just the people in your life. So hit pause and make the list. Okay, welcome back. You got that list in front of you. Now, there are a lot of different ways you can categorize and break people down. I always hate it when people say, you know, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's a million kinds of people in this world, but it helps to break them down into groups sometimes, doesn't it? And one of the ways I like to break people into groups is in real fundamental ways. And one of the fundamental ways is when I look at the people in my life, there are givers and there are takers. Now think about that. There are people in your life that are givers. They're always ready to help out if help is needed. They're ready to support you if necessary. Lend a helping hand if you need an extra hand. Maybe you're scrambling around to cover everything, take care of your kids. You got a party you're going to throw or something, backyard barbecue or whatever. They're, hey, what can I bring? How can I help? Whatever. Maybe there's been a death in your family. And so they're around saying, hey, what can I do? How can I help here? Maybe you're going to have to go to the doctor or the dentist and you need a ride because you're going to be a little dopey afterwards or something. Hey, what time? I'll take you, pick you up. These are people that are givers. And then there are people that are takers. Now think about it. The only people they ever want to talk about are them. The only thing you ever do is for them. They're willing to let you do anything in the world for them. They never reciprocate. They will whine to you. They will suck you dry of every ounce of life energy you can muster. They will come over when you're having a perfectly good day and sit there and bitch and whine and moan and suck you dry till you just want to scream. They will borrow money. They're just takers, 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 mentally, emotionally, energy-wise, financially, time-wise. They just have no empathy, no sense of the impact of what they're doing or not doing on your life. They are takers. Split your group up that way. Who are givers and who are takers? That's a real fundamental way to divide your people up in your life. Now, there are other ways. You can say who's toxic and who's not, who's honest and who's dishonest, who's loyal, who's disloyal. But it's a real fundamental way to just say who's a giver and who's a taker, who contributes to my life and who sucks me dry. And those people who go on the suck me dry list, those people who are on the taker list, you need to hit the eject button on those folks. Because let me tell you, 
you got a finite amount of life energy. And when those people come over and start draining you, that's an hour you'll never get back. And when they leave, you are so depleted, so irritated, so frustrated, listening to them complain and whine and bitch and wear their victim hat, that you're just discombobulated for hours. You do not need that in your life. So you want to distance yourself from those people. And I'm not saying you need to confront them. I'm not saying you need to say, okay, need you to come over at 3, you come over at 3.15, you come over at 3.30, I need you at 3.45. You don't need to do that. You never need to say a word to them. The decision is yours. You don't owe these takers another five minutes of your life. Just all of a sudden, you're not reachable. All of a sudden, you're just not around. My executive producer is Carla Pennington, absolute rock star. Been my executive producer since a year before we went on the air. The day she came on board, she had infant twins. And people were saying, oh, my God, how in the world is she ever going to do a startup of a show with 350 people on staff? There was just an energy about her that I just knew. It's not going to be her keeping up. It's going to be us keeping up with her. And that was exactly what's happened over the last 18 years. Talk about a giver. She is a giver. You meet people like that that just contribute. Then there are people that are just as strong in the opposite direction. But she was telling me the other day, I said, do you think this person knows they're not doing a good job? She said, one of the first things you told me almost 18 years ago is that people don't need to worry when you're talking to them, even if it's telling them what they're doing wrong. You said people need to worry about you when you quit talking to them. And she said, I've seen it over the last 18 years, because there's a point at which you say, I'm not willing to invest any more time or energy in this person, because they do not have a future here. There is no point in spending another 30 seconds counseling this person, talking to this person. It's not going to matter, because they're not going to listen, and they're not going to be here, so it isn't going to make any difference. I've just learned when you stop talking to somebody, I need to start looking for somebody to replace them because I know they're not going to be here. And it doesn't matter whether it's somebody that cleans up the office at night or it's somebody that's doing graphics or it's somebody that's handling the uplink to the satellite. They either get it or they don't. Once you decide they don't get it, you'll work with them, work with them, work with them, work with them. But then all of a sudden, when the conversation dries up, yeah, I need to start looking for somebody else. I don't confront anybody. It's just one of the rules of life. You don't want to throw good money after bad, good energy after bad. So you don't need to confront all these people. Just make the decision. And if it's the decision that, nope, this person is not constructive, then just don't invest any more time. Just move on. You have that right. In fact, you have that responsibility to yourself. Now, I say that like we dump people around here every day. We probably got the lowest turnover rate in the history of Hollywood. Like I say, I've got the same executive producer since day one, got the same director, got the same seven cameramen, got the same security guard, got the same supervisors. I've watched these people grow up and raise kids and put them through school. And Carla's infants that she was raising are now off to college. But you'll run into people that they're just not a good fit in your life, or maybe they're toxic in your life. But you've got to decide in this life script you're writing who gets a part in your life, who gets a part in this script. 
And then you need to start recruiting those people around you that can help. You really need to start seeking out people that can help. You know, I've got the number one show, and I'll tell you why. I have surrounded myself with really smart people. I've surrounded myself with smart producers, smart directors, smart sound people and lighting people and bookers. I've surrounded myself with absolutely the best team in television. Now, every host is going to stand up and say they got the best team in television. I have the best team in television. That's why we're number one. Let me tell you something. One log won't burn. You put me out there with a bunch of nimrods, nobody to talk to. They're not interesting. They don't have interesting problems. They don't have interesting issues. The stakes are not high. It's going to be like watching paint dry. I'm as good as my team makes me. I know that. I surround myself with really smart, creative, intelligent, motivated, passionate people. At Dr. Phil, money is paid, but it is not about the money. You cannot pay people enough to work the way these people work. You cannot pay them to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning talking to a victim of domestic violence and getting her to a safe house. There's not enough money. They've got to care. They have got to have bought in to the mission. So how about you? Who do you need to surround yourself with? You want to surround yourself with people that will help you push the rock up the hill, people that want to see you succeed. So you need to recruit those people around you. Make a list. Do you need a good friend? Do you need somebody that can help you and support you with your exercise? Do you need somebody that can be empathetic with you as a mother or as a single mother? What do you need in your life? Don't just be standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, and just whoever walks by, you're like, hey, I, yeah, you're the first person to come by, so I guess we'll be life partners. No, that's not the way it works. Find out who you need. Look for the person you need. Recruit those people. And you know how you're going to recruit them? You're going to Recruit them by attracting them to you. And let me tell you how you're going to do that. I talk to people all the time about dating, about how to find somebody to share their life with. And I give them a piece of advice that I'm going to give you right now. I want you to decide if you were going to meet somebody new. Well, let's just say it was in a dating situation. We use that as an example. It doesn't matter. But Let's say you're going to meet somebody new, and you don't have a lot of time with that person, maybe an hour, hour and a half, 30 minutes, I don't know. What is the one thing that you would want them to take away from that encounter about you? Now, think about that, because this is really important. If somebody meets you for the very first time, and they leave that encounter, and they go talk to somebody and say, yeah, I just met Susan. And they say, tell me about her. What is the one thing you would want to be certain she took away from that encounter with you that she would report to her friend in describing you? I tell you to think about that because when you meet someone you can small talk. Yeah, is this hot enough for you? How about them cowboys? Did you see the Rams today? Did you see was on the cover of Vogue? Did you know what about this or that? You can talk politics or global warming, things that matter. But what about you? What do you want them to learn about you that is your best foot forward? 
We always say you never get a second chance at a first impression. So what is that first impression? What do you want them to take away about you? What's that impression you want to leave? Like I said, if you're on a date, what do you want them to know about you? You meet them for coffee the first time. You don't want to go off with them alone. You don't want to go on some three-hour date because they may be an undesirable person. So you want to keep it short. But what is it you want them to know about you? What's the most interesting thing about you that would make somebody want to be with you again if you wanted to be with them again? What's the one thing that would be critically important? And you need to sit down and write this down. Now, this is going to sound really funny, but you really do want to write this down because this is your first impression. This is your statement. This is the character of you. This is the character of you, and what is it you want them to know about you? Never met you before. They're going to decide if they want to meet you again. What is it you want them to know about you? See, I deal with this every day because I've dealt with 20,000 guests on Dr. Phil. They walk out there and look me in the eye, and I have to make an impression on them right there. I meet more people than most people meet. Most people don't meet 1,000 people a year, but I do. I know The one thing I want them to learn about me right straight up front. It's not haphazard. It's not different every day. There's one thing I want those people to know about me. Every one of them, for sure, the very clear message. You want to know what it is? I'll tell you. I want them to know that I take my role very seriously. There are cameras around, but this is not about TV to me. TV is incidental to me. I'm not there making television show. I take my role very, very seriously. I want them to know that they will never meet anybody in their life that is going to work harder for them than I am in the next hour. Just those two things right there are a good start. I want them to know I take my role very seriously. I mean, think about it. They have written in, on average, 25 or 30 times. They really worked hard to get there. They've made a decision that they're willing to do this publicly in order to get the help. They packed their suitcase. They got in a car. They went to the airport. They got on an airplane. They flew across the country. They got in another car. They went to a strange hotel. They checked in. They started telling their story and answering a million questions, and they walked out there in front of God and everybody and sat down and aired out. I want them to know I take it very seriously. Because in that moment, looking me in the eye, they'll forget about those cameras. They'll forget about the millions of people watching. And they'll know, this is my moment. He's done his homework, and he's taken this very seriously, and I do not want to blow this opportunity. I want them to know nobody's ever going to work harder for you than I am right now. I have worked hard before you got here. I'm working hard for you right now. And the third prong to this triangle is I will tell you the truth as I see it, whether it's what you want to hear or not. And most people don't have the courage to do that. Most people will tell you what you want to hear. It's easier. They're takers. They'll just tell you what they want to hear, move on down the road. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Yeah, it'll be all right. It's going to be okay. And I won't do that. I'll tell them, you need to get a divorce before dark today or he's going to kill you. I'll tell them that if that's the way I see it. I'll tell them the truth as I see it. It takes energy and it takes courage to do that. So when I meet somebody in that arena, I want them to know I take my role seriously. I'm going to work hard for you and I'm going to tell you the truth as I see it, whether it's what you want to hear or not. 
there's no mystery about it to me. I don't have to think about it every morning, like what foot do I want to put forward today? That's it. How about you? What do you want people to know about you? What do you want them to take away about you? In fact, that's what I want you to take away about me with regard to this podcast. I want you to know I've taken my role here very seriously, and I have worked very hard because I want you to change. I want you to rise above the noise in your life. I don't want you to be wallpaper. I want you to pop out of that wallpaper. And the first person you got to sell is you. The most important relationship you're going to have is not with this list of people you're making. It's the one you have with yourself. And believe me, there is a certain constellation of your traits and your characteristics that's a bell ringer. You may have a hundred traits and characteristics, but there's five or six in combination presented with conviction that are going to make you highly desirable to anybody you meet. You've got to take the time to figure out what they are. You've got to have the courage to put them out there. And when you do that, these people I'm telling you, you want to recruit, they're going to see that in you and they're going to say, you know, this is somebody I want in my life. This is a nice person. This is a good person. I would do well to have this person in my life. So that's how you fold all this into your life. Remember I said, be you on purpose? Be you on purpose. Have a lie script. Know your traits and characteristics. Know what you want. Get rid of the takers in your life. Attract the people that you want. And you can only do that if you do an autopsy on why everything isn't the way you want it. And that's not by blaming others. That's by seeing what your role was. You're the only person you control. You can inspire others, but the only person you control is you. Remember, I told you, have a defined image and don't ever go out of character. That's that first impression. That's what you want to set forth. And then all the other things we've talked about, become essential, keep your options open, deal with the truth, don't live in denial. All of those things are so critical. And on the website, drfillintheblanks.com, I have all 16 of these things listed. You can go back and review them. And you can listen to all of these podcasts that I've done covering these 16 to help you put together what you need to write this life script. You may think, you know, this is interesting and it's been kind of entertaining. Okay, that's great. I didn't want to do this to entertain you. I really want you to do the things I'm talking about because I promise you, if you do what I'm talking about, your life will be different in a very short period of time. Because I keep getting emails and people stopping me on the street saying, you know what? I did this. I did that when I did this one. It changed my life. My whole goal is to talk about things that matter to people who care. I do it on a podcast. I do it on Dr. Phil. These are not easy decisions, but they're important decisions. And that's why I'm talking about these things on Dr. Phil. That's how we choose our topics, because it impacts people's lives. You're listening now. I hope you'll watch later. We're going to talk some more. I'm Dr. Phil. Thanks for listening.